0: Thank you.
1: listening to Bulls Radio WUSF 89.7 HD3 Tampa 1620 AM on campus and streaming worldwide at bullsradio.org. We are running a little late today, 308 p.m. instead of our usual three oh something because of a slight technical difficulty that we could not figure out, but we somehow figured it out. So here we are, you're listening to Anthro Alert. This show is about anthropology and why it matters each week. We'll discuss how anthropology is relevant, and over time, as we go, you know, for each show, we'll feature various guests from the Department of Anthropology here at USF to discuss their research and have them weigh in on everyday topics or current events. We believe this show is a good opportunity for us as anthropologists or as aspiring anthropologists to better connect with the USF community and raise awareness of the value of an anthropological perspective. We like to preface each of our shows with a disclaimer that the statements that we make and the opinions we express on Anthro Alert are exclusively our own opinions and may not necessarily be representative of anthropology as a discipline, the USF Anthropology Department, USF student organizations, student government, um, any anybody really
0: all all, the, all those people.
1: Yeah, so my name is Renee, uh, Renee Herrera, and
0: I am your host Spencer or co-host I should say.
1: And we have a fantastic show today. It's a beautiful day in Tampa. Um, today, our guest is from um, from our department, Dr. Roberta Baer. Um, Spencer?
0: Yeah, so um, we've had Dr. Baer in class, or I have, so um, I've heard about this, this research before, um, and so I'm excited for the show today to talk about it more and to share it with you guys. So we're going to be talking about Her oral histories class and the stories from uh, refugees in the Tampa Bay area that they have gathered and compiled into a book. Um, Adjusted the stories to a suitable reading level to then use those as uh, English language program or teaching materials for those refugees and refugees still coming into the area. So, Dr. Baer, thanks for coming on the show today. Thank you. So tell us a little bit about the work that you 've done p- previously with the refugees in the Tampa area, and um, do you work with a certain group or are there various groups of refugees that you work with, and uh, where where are they typically coming from?
2: The first group I worked with was the Burmese, and I did a series of dietary and nutritional studies on the Burmese refugees here in Tampa. Most recently, i've been working with a very recently arrived group of Congolese refugees looking at the same issues. Issues of a dietary transition, learning about new foods, and issues related to the long periods of time that these groups spent in refugee camps. In the case of the Burmese, they were in refugee camps for between 10 and 15 years. The Congolese were in refugee camps for 20 years. With short shortages of food supplies, you see all sorts of nutritional and growth deficiencies in the population.
0: Okay. So... Um, are the, These are the groups that you're working with currently then? Are you still working with the Burmese? Or? No,
2: I'm primarily working with the Congolese now. Okay. But the Oral Histories Project looked at a wide variety of refugees here in the Tampa Bay area, people from about 10 different countries.
0: Okay, so let's transition into talking about that. How did you initially get the idea to do this Oral Histories class? And uh, did you originally have it an, as, as an idea to um, use this class to facilitate English learning? In the refugee community, or is it just something that came out of the class?
2: Well, in one of my last lives, I actually created materials for uh, ESL, English literacy, and GED programs. Mm. That was a couple of lives ago, though. Um, But a couple of years ago, I was in a meeting with various people from the refugee service providers here in town, uh, and we were talking about ways to increase the interaction between the university and the people trying to work with refugees. And I got to talking with Ron Cruz, who directs the Caribe program here. Caribe is a division of the Hillsborough County Schools, and they are responsible for refugee ESL classes. And Ron and I were talking, and I thought, wouldn't it be great if we could gather some of the stories of the refugees themselves, and make those into materials for other refugees to then learn, use to learn English. And then I uh, heard that people in uh, my department wanted to resuscitate the oral history class. We hadn't taught that for, I don't know, 10 years or something. And I thought this was a perfect conjecture of uh, conjunction of forces where I could teach the oral history class and have this great project to go along with it. So I um, received funding from the USF Office of Community Engagement and Participation to um, Uh, develop the new course, and also for some of the expenses connected with the course. If you want to do a course like this and you want to do it in 15 weeks, that's really not much time. I teach the students about refugees, I teach my students how to do oral histories, they had to do the oral histories, and then the other side of the project was to rewrite the materials at about fourth grade reading level so they could be curriculum materials. The missing link is transcribing the interviews. This can take a long, long time. And what was critical was the funding I received from OSEP to pay a professional transcriptionist to transcribe the recordings. That meant we had a turnaround time that was very brief, and the students could function on the other parts of the project, which they did. So that was a very, very important contribution to the project.
1: And OSEP being the—correct uh, me if
0: I'm wrong—the Office of Community Engagement and Partnership here at
2: USS. Yes, yes.
0: Yeah, having that professional transcriber—that's that's a great resource, definitely. Um, as like you said, uh, transcription can it can be a long process. Can you briefly um, just break down the term oral histories for um, some of our listeners that may not know what that
2: is? Oral history is a term that refers to history that doesn't come from written records which is where much of history comes from, but oral history is people's stories about what happened. Um, Historians argue a little bit about how much it should be valued. There are all sorts of issues of people giving their, um, their take on what happened. But you find that kind of distortion and bias in official records as well. Lots of people are left out of official records. Mm. Um, So it's a way of getting another side of what has gone on. Our goal was to get people's stories about their experiences, uh, record those, and again, turn those into curriculum materials.
0: So you got... So you had the idea of resuscitate, or you, the department wanted to resuscitate this class. You had previously talked about um, trying to find some way to facilitate English learning within the community here in Tampa Bay of refugees. Um, but the, I, the important step is was getting some refugees to participate in in this oral histories course. So how did you go about contacting some um, some individuals in the in the t- um, surrounding community and and getting them to be willing to participate in something like this?
2: Well, i had been working with refugees for about five years at that point, so I reached out to people I knew who I thought might be willing to be interviewed. Uh, Ron Cruz at Caribe asked a number of the more advanced students at Caribe if they'd be willing to be interviewed, and we also asked other people in the refugee service community if they knew other people uh, who'd be willing to be a part of this project. Now, except for people who come to America already fluent in English, and there are some, most people go through the Karibé program. Most people love the Karibé program, and when we brought it up to people that we were going to do this project to help Karibé have better materials for other refugees, people were actually delighted to be a part of this, and many of them mentioned in their interviews that they really... uh, wanted to give back to Caribe. Let me read to you here what a man from the Sudan said. I want to help people like Caribe does, like how I moved from Egypt to here, that whole process. I want to help. I know America is very helpful for others. Karibe School and my teachers, they're very helpful to us here. They taught us everything, how I can study, how I can learn English, how I can talk with people. Everything in my life they taught me. So I am very happy to help with this book.
1: So this is um, h- how did the how did the Caribe project get started? Do you know that?
2: I do not know, um, but it is uh, run by the Hillsborough County uh, School District, and they are the ones who are uh, printing the book. I have the uh, copy of it here. We called it American Stories because these are stories of people many of whom have become American. Many of the people we interviewed are U.S. citizens. And the others are uh, eagerly studying English, American government, so they can take their naturalization exam and become U.S. citizens as well.
1: Yeah, the the immigrant story, I think, is a very important part of American folklore. So, yeah, it's an excellent title, American Stories. Um, Let's take a short break. So we'll, we'll take a short break. We'll come back. We'll hear, we'll hear more of these stories. All right. You're listening to Bulls Radio. This is Anthro Alert, the show about anthropology and how we apply it. Today our guest is Dr. Roberta Baer here of USF, uh, the USF Department of Anthropology. And we're, in, uh, we're having a discussion. We're having a conversation about a, a project that she is wor- she's working on um, with, with uh, one of her students looking at oral histories Of immigrants, of refugees. And before the break, we heard one such story. So uh, before we get into maybe our next set of questions, we can read uh, another of the stories.
2: Okay, this is a little bit of a story told to us by Anna, who was born in the former Yugoslavia. So I escaped after three and a half years. I escaped from Sarajevo. At that time, I was married. However, my husband and I were separated for three years in the same city. Just a river divided us. He went one day to work, and then that part of the city was occupied. We couldn't see each other for three years. Because we didn't have phones, I didn't know if he was alive or not. Then he ended up in Germany. I escaped to Serbia, first to Belgrade, where my parents are. They escaped from there to a refugee camp, and then they called my aunt in Serbia. This is how we got connected after three years. And I found out my husband was alive. There was no electricity in Sarajevo. Nothing. Nothing. No water. He lived like an animal. We finally met again in Germany.
1: Well, wow, no, just what? Just listening to that, what a what a powerful story. The the types of experiences that that people have is um, I mean, it, it, there's a lot of emotion in that. Um, I, I'd like to know a little bit more about why, Dr. Bear, why you think projects like this are important.
2: This is a form of uh, learning that gets the students out into the community, uh, which I think is very important in connecting students with what's really going on. However, you can get students out into the community, and the students are learning a lot, but you're not really doing much for the community itself. And what makes me feel really good about this project is that I got my students out, but we also were able to do something that really is going to make a contribution to the community. Uh, these books are being published by the Hillsborough County Schools. They will be used in the Caribbean program here. They will also be placed in uh, public school libraries throughout the district and ultimately in every public library in Hillsborough County. Additionally, we're going to make the materials available uh, in PDF form free to anybody who wants to use them as curriculum materials in other ESL programs, other kinds of of school settings people will be able to email me uh, and download the PDF of the book from a Dropbox and for individuals we are going to sell copies of the book of uh, people just interested in reading it using it for whatever again the contact information for that will be my email address baer at USF we will be selling the book to cover our costs and any profits that we make will be funded back into projects for refugees. But in terms of the effects on students, I wanna read you a little bit here some of the comments my students made when asked to reflect on their experiences in the course. When this course began, my excitement was focused on an intellectually stimulating research opportunity. However, I failed to realize the breadth of personal growth that this course offered. I was certainly not educated about the complexities, difficulties and variations within the refugee experience. These changes in perspective reflect a deeper understanding of the labyrinth that is the global environment of these human experiences and reinforce the importance of perspective and thankfulness. Another student said, I went into this class expecting a more traditional classroom structure with lectures, discussions, and furious note taking. What I got out of this class, however, was something entirely new. I got the chance to make a difference, to build a relationship, and to learn how to create change rather than just talk about it.
0: Wow! Well, yeah, it's it's great that you know a project like this can help benefit the community. But um, it's nice to hear that the students uh, had a takeaway from this project as well, and from conducting these interviews. And now. I would like to transition more into sort of getting into the nitty-gritty of the, the methods and the, and the process of, of uh, making the book. Can you tell us more about the, how you were training the students in oral history and, and condu- actually conducting these interviews and how you decided um, upon making the transcripts of the interviews um, a more suitable reading level? Is there some sort, like how did you decide what was a suitable reading level?
2: Well, fourth grade reading level is kind of beginning reading level. That's sort of the bottom of literacy. If you make something at fourth grade reading level, you can assume that just about anybody who knows English can read it. And fourth grade reading level, as you see from these excerpts I've been reading, this is just not really dumbing things down. Reading level is a ratio between the length of sentences and the number of syllables in the sentence. So if you use a synonym, a word that has one syllable instead of eight, and you make the sentences shorter, you've achieved a lower reading level without really dumbing down the material. Mm -hmm. Um, In terms of the process, um, we had the students read all of the traditional materials about the theory and practice and ethics of oral history. Ethics are very important because they're dealing with people who have definitely been through traumatic experiences and you don't ever wanna be in a position of asking somebody to have to live through those experiences again if they don't choose to. So we were very careful. We asked people to think about what part of their story they would like to share. Some people focused on their experiences In their home country, some people focused on their experiences in refugee camps, some people talked about their lives in America, some people had advice for Americans, some people had advice for other refugees, but we let people pick exactly what they wanted to include. After we got the transcripts back, we took them back to people and we said, look it over or we read it to them and pick out anything you don't want in here. Okay, So they had a double chance to be sure that they were comfortable with anything that was in their story. Finally, we asked them what name they wanted to use. Some people chose to use their own names. Some people chose to use pseudonyms, uh, often because they feared for relatives who were still back home and who could possibly be endangered. In terms of the actual process, the students learned about um, the background of the refugee they had chosen to interview, They did background research on that. They had to present a report in class, for example, on um, Somalia and the problems in Somalia, or the problems in um, Burma or wherever. And then they went out in pairs. One student did the actual interviewing. The other person made sure the recording was going properly. It also helped the students. They had someone else to sort of hold their hand. These were mostly undergraduates, a couple of grad students. And undergraduates are very scared to talk to strangers. They've been taught not to. And the whole process of talking not only to a stranger, but to a stranger who didn't speak English well, who was from a totally different world, was very intimidating at first to the students. But I felt that that was a barrier they needed to get past. And I really pushed them out of their comfort zones. And nobody rebelled. Okay, we ran into a few problems. You hold their hands. But nobody said, I'm dropping this class.
0: So the interviewees uh, you, t- you said they were all upper level students at the Cree Bay institution correct
2: No some of them work in refugee service agencies okay. some of them work in community okay. some were friends of mine.
0: so was, was there any need for having like an, a, a translator there or were they or were all the interviewees able to conduct themselves sufficiently
2: in, in English? Um, most people managed pretty well in English. Okay. There were two people, one man from Haiti and one man from um, the Congo, who were having problems expressing themselves. So we brought in translators there to help. We brought in a French translator, and we brought in a Swahili translator to help the people be able to explain themselves better. Because, as you know, if you can't explain yourself, you get it very frustrated, and we didn't want people to feel that. hmm
1: you know, when you were talking about um, part of how part of how you structure the class, um, uh, t- to me, I'm thinking, well, it's, well, it's a very that th- the class itself is applied in a couple of different perspectives. So, one, providing this service to the community, to um, the schools, to the ESL, to the to the learners, to the to the program, um, but also for for the students. So, you know, l- one, learning the method of interviewing and. Um, gathering oral history but also just having that first-hand experience of listening to another person tell their experience um, and you know hearing you read some of the some of the, the evaluations that were given for the course talking about you know, it wasn't this wasn't what I expected but it was a profound experience for me I think that is, um, it was a very it's a very special to have, for you to have been a part of that project. Um, and we'll, we'll ask this later, but, you know, I'm interested to know what future offerings of this course will, you mm. know, wh- what will be offered in the future.
0: Do you know um, if there's been any continued connection between some of the students that took this class and... Um, Karibe or maybe the person that they interviewed or just uh, their activity in the refugee community in general?
2: As part of the class, the students needed to have background checks done by Karibe. They needed to have an orientation. We observed several Karibe classes, and I think some of the students actually did end up volunteering for Karibe. Um, I know one of the students was invited to dinner at the home of the person she had interviewed and through the language barrier um, communicated with the wife who didn't speak any English. Um, I think she went with the person they, she had done the interview with. The pair of them went, but they brought toys for the children. Mm. Um, and they were able to set up a kind of human connection. Refugees live very uh, isolated, mm-hmm. and uh, they don't know many Americans. And I think many of the people we interviewed, uh, particularly the people who were not professionals, the people who were very new to Tampa, really appreciated the opportunity to connect with an American. Mm-hmm. Also, I think it's important for the refugees who were interviewed to connect with a college student. Many of these people have hopes of continuing their own education and to be able to make the connection with somebody who's involved in higher education, I think, was a, a win for them as well. So we had a lot of wins going around in this class.
1: Yeah. Y- um, you know, you hear this all the time in the media, but, but there are many there are many assumptions and, and biases of um, the people or that we have of refugees. What, um, what are some of the assumptions that your students had? Uh, what were some assumptions that had gotten turned inside out or, or uh, experiences, that they were able to learn more about the refugee experience and what they had gone into the class thinking about?
2: Well, there were people who had taken this class just because it was offered on Monday, Wednesday at 9.30 in the morning, and it was convenient. So they didn't have a particular interest in this topic at all, and that's fine. Um, but, uh, you know, they, they knew what they had learned in the media. This class was taught last fall in the heat of the presidential campaign, so there was a lot of talk about refugees and immigrants, a lot of misconceptions uh, all over the place. I think my students were struck by the diversity of people who are refugees. Refugees are everyday, regular people just like us who wake up one day and all of a sudden there's a war going around them or a family member is threatened and they have to pick up and leave everything. Okay? There are people who talk about they left with a backpack and then they were robbed along the way and they ended up arriving in America in their clothing. And that was all they had with them. And, um, you know, for students, this is an amazing kind of thing to listen to. One of my students interviewed a uh, young man from Cuba and he was all into comput- computers and they got into a long discussion of how there was one place in a park in the city where he lived in Cuba where you could get Internet. Now, this blew my student away. I mean, you know how students are. They're totally connected, totally wired in. The idea that there could only be one place in a city where you could stand to get Internet, she couldn't believe it.
0: Hmm. Wow. Uh, Well, on the topic of having these preconceived notions, I think uh, you said that you had some... um, some refugees that had given advice to other refugees or to, to Americans to kind of break up these misconceptions. Could you read one of those or, or both of them?
2: Well, I'll read first here some advice to Americans. This was uh, offered by a Cuban woman. Uh, she says, accept us. We are immigrants. We leave our countries. That's enough so we don't need more things. Sometimes we feel like Americans do not accept us. We have people who will not accept us. I have a part-time job. I remember there was a guy behind me and he was talking to the other cashier. They were both American. He told him, these Spanish people with these accents. I was thinking about turning around and telling him, at least I try to speak English. What about you? How many languages do you speak? Nobody wants us. That's what I'm trying to tell you. It's enough that we have to leave our country and our families. That's enough. So don't put more things on that. Sometimes we feel very separate from some American people. Try to accept us as we are. I think in general we are very valuable for your economy. I think that the United States wouldn't be what it is right now without us. That's what makes the United States so amazing. So try to respect us a little more.
0: That's a great story. Yeah, I think the in the media you get um, maybe the the assumption that refugees are, are here, um, you know, by choice or, you know, that they're just... You know, there's a multitude of different reasons of why people say that they're here, but um, I think hearing these stories is really important to kind of break up those preconceived notions.
1: And, and then hearing that, you can, s- you can just hear a lot of the emotion here, the, the frustration fr- mm-hmm. for part of the experience, the, the passion for uh, being in the United States now. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, there is a, there's a lot to unpack there.
2: I'll read you here a little bit of advice for other refugees. This was given by a Somali man. My views are always optimism, not pessimism. We had a dream to come here. In the United States, there is a language barrier. For those who can't speak English, it's hard to get a job. But there is ESL. There is the Caribe Program. They go there in order to improve their language. They have to learn the language. The only way they can interact with people. I tell them to be patient here. Learn the culture of the United States and the people. That's the only way they can catch up to life here. We are human beings. We cannot live in the forest. We have to live in the society. The society is like a farm. If you plant potatoes, you grow potatoes. If you plant beans, you get beans. The same is true in society. If you behave positively, the answer will be positive. If you behave negatively, the answer will be negative. It depends on how you behave, how you interact with people. I think things like family will be very strong. The love of family will last a long time. That's what I've seen in life. I always like people to be happy, smile, and live in peace.
0: Man, I love listening to these stories. I could yeah, I could listen to those all day, and I might read them once the book is, is ready um, and, and published and out there. So I think we're going to take one more music break, and then when we come back, we'll talk more about the stage um, that the book is in as far as the publication process and some of the end goals for the book and whether this project will continue and and we'll we'll wrap up that way
1: Right, you're listening to Bulls Radio This is Anthro Alert, where we talk about anthropology, how we apply anthropology what is anthropology we try to answer all of those questions and provide some relevant examples for how you you there, listener listening at home, how you can be an anthropologist one day, hopefully um, uh, so we're <laughs> so we're talking to Dr. Roberta Bear from the Department of Anthropology here at University of South Florida, where she's talking to us about the recent class that was offered here uh, on oral histories, uh, providing refugees with an opportunity to tell their stories and. And contribute a little bit to the community, and where students had the opportunity to learn more about refugees and challenge any prejudices they may have had and learn some anthropological methods.
0: Mm. And if you've been listening, then you would have heard uh, some of the stories that she has shared with us today on Anthro Alert, and we're going to hop back into the conversation talking more about. the technical aspects of, of publishing a book like this. So, Dr. Berg, um what stage in the publication process is the book in right now, and what is your, what is your end goal for the book as far as, like, distribution?
2: Well, um, it'll be ready for distribution on August 1st. Um, copies will be available. We'll have an order sheet. We will have figured out how much the postage will cost to mail it to people. Uh, we're also creating an evaluation to go along with it because we'd like to get feedback about how it's being used and what people consider to be valuable uh, about it. So uh, just two more weeks and it will be out there.
0: Wow, that's that's great. So, uh, how long um, can you can you estimate how long it's taken you from start to finish to to wrap this? Book? Project up
2: Well, we taught the class in fall of 16, and then we had in a hiatus for a couple of months. Uh, some things came up and we couldn't get much done. And pretty much at the end of spring semester, we started working in earnest on editing the stories and uh, preparing the manuscript and getting it all ready. I do want to note that uh, I did not do this alone. Of course, there were 19 students in the class, 21 refugees who were interviewed. Uh, various other people who contributed, and of course uh, have to mention Emily Holbrook, who was a student in the class, who is the co-editor on this publication. She's a master student in the applied anthro program at the University of South Florida.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Ye- yes, I did want to ask uh, because you were using the um, the word "we" when you were describing some of the process in getting the book out, and um, I wanted to know who else who helped you. So. Uh, I guess you mentioned Emily Holbrook. She's a
0: graduate student here.
2: Yes. And
0: was this um, part of her uh, her thesis project here at USF or was this just something that she's helping you with?
2: It's just something she's working on. She plans to do her thesis on refugees and she's up to her eyeballs in several of my projects on <laughs> refugees.
1: Well, Emily, if you're listening, we'd love to have you on the show to talk about your research. That would be great. We
0: should, we should get her in here. Do you... Um, Dr. Baird, do you think this project will continue? Do you plan on hosting uh, the oral histories course um, another semester? And will you try to make another one of these American Stories books?
2: Yes, we are already planning at least Volume 2 and Volume 3. Mm-hmm. The class will be offered fall of 2018. Mm-hmm. And I've already started talking to people about whether they'd uh, be willing to be interviewed, been talking to the people at Caribe about you know the mechanics of getting together another another volume of this, and um, you know God willing, when the creeks don't rise. We will be on for 2018 in the mm-hmm. fall, and uh, certainly for a year or two after that.
1: Uh, I'm curious to know if mm-hmm. you ha- you will change the course at all in any way. Maybe some lessons learned or ways to improve the course.
2: Um, The readings will be updated because the situation keeps changing. Um, It worked pretty well. I'd probably have a few more backup people because it got to sort of crunch time. And, you know, refugees have lives, students have lives, and getting everybody together got difficult. Um, So I'd probably have a few more of my friends who I could totally depend on to do interviews at a moment's notice just as a personal favor to me as kind of backup um, you know, there are issues that we don't even think about. One day, a group of students who were waiting for an interview uh, with a refugee called me, and they said, you know, we're waiting here. He's 15 minutes late. What should we do? I said, wait. Called me. He's a half hour late. I said, wait. <laughs> they called me 45 minutes later. He's not here. I said, wait. They called me back a couple hours later. Oh, yeah, we did the interview. He finally showed up nearly an hour late. Why? He doesn't have a car. He'd had to take three buses to get to the place where the mm. interview was, mm-hmm. and the buses were running late. Mm. And that, in itself, was an important lesson uh, for the students.
0: Yeah, of what <laughs> of what you have to go through to even get to what a student may think is just a simple interview um, may not be so simple <laughs> if you don't have reliable transportation. So that, yeah, there's always lessons learned in that sort of situation. Um, is there any final things you would like to share about this project, um, opinions, or any, any more facts or any, anything you'd like to share?
2: Again, um, the book will be available August 1st. If people are interested, uh, we'd be li- delighted to uh, get you a copy. Um, please email me, and uh, I can make that happen. If anybody wants to use it as curriculum materials, you can email me and we can make available the PDF for you to print out yourself free of charge. I'd just like to end by reading uh, one more story here. This is, uh, was told to us by a man from the Sudan. I've had many, many tragedies and stories. It is a mystery why God is like this. But I have hope now. I have seen change. I needed to change some things for me and my family. Also, I want to help the ones born in the Sudan. This is the end of my kids' bad life in Sudan. Now they are happy in the USA. I want to study, and I want to improve my life and future. It's good.
0: I think that's a good way to end the show. What do you think? Really? Oh, yeah. Um,
1: Dr. Barry. any other things that, that are pertinent to discuss? Now, there... There were a, f- a couple of, I think, follow-up things that some of our um, three listeners might be interested in in following up on. So we, we'll, on our webpage, anthroalert.com, we'll go ahead and post um, a way for you to get in touch with Dr. Baird, a link to her um, her webpage here at uh, the at USF, and you'll be able to get in touch with her. You'll be able to get a copy of the book if you want because um, you, you can read those stories, and, and there's a lot of emotion. There's a lot of experience there. There's a lot of value in In a project like this. So uh,
0: you've just spent the last 40 minutes listening to Anthro Alert. Yep. And again, if you're an undergrad, fall 2018, oral histories will be hopefully taught again. If this seems like something you may be interested in, you might want to get in contact with Dr. Baer. Seems like a good opportunity, a good learning opportunity to get involved in your community and to learn how to conduct oral histories, whether you're an anthropologist or not. That is a good skill to have. Um, and we can give uh, you some more information. Just get out there and meet some new people. Man, wow. Yep. And so that's all we have on Anthro Alert this week. We'd like to thank Dr. Bear for coming on and talking to us, um, having a great discussion. We hope you enjoyed it because I know that we did. And we're going to end with one more song, and we will see you guys next week. Have a good one.